My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Can we welcome all our campuses joining us around the state? Glad to have you guys. Church Online, Facebook Live, whatever it is. Hey, if it's your first time or maybe somebody invited you uh, as a guest, welcome. You're our special VIP today. Um, you should know Liquid is a non-denominational Christian church and movies and music and media are a big part of the way we, we communicate uh, the Word of God. Um, we do this series at the movies every August because I think movies are kind of like modern day parables. In fact, have you ever noticed if you go into historic churches, a lot of times they'll have stained glass. Have how many of you been in a church with stained glass? Okay. Um, did anybody know why they had stained glass installed in churches, particularly in the Middle Ages? The answer is because the people were illiterate. They didn't know how to read. So they didn't have like a Bible like you or I have to read the gospel. And so the way that the priest or the pastor taught the people was using pictures. Uh, he would say something like this. He'd say, you see this guy over here with the stone tablets? That's Moses in the Old Testament. And then over here in the New Testament, we have the disciples. And look, it's Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire is coming down. And in between them is Jesus. So Jesus is the one who bridges the Old Testament to the New Testament. And that's how a pastor in the Middle Ages would teach an audience who was illiterate. Well, I don't think we're illiterate today, but I do think we're more post-literate. Uh, that is, we have more and more of a visual-driven uh, communication style. Uh, nobody can spell anymore, if you've ever gotten any emails. Uh, people are on their screen, social media. And so I think in a lot of ways, movie screens are like the stained glass of a modern church like Liquid. And so what we're doing in this series is we're kind of teaching through the stained glass of some of the biggest blockbuster movies out there that have spiritual themes or I think deeper connections to the gospel or the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, last week we looked at the uh, movie Breakthrough, but today we're gonna explore the huge hit Black Panther. Any Black Panther fans here? I make some noise if you saw the movie. Probably most of you have seen it. It is now the world's 10th highest grossing film of all time. It has earned over, catch this, 1.3 billion dollars at the box office. So it really struck a chord in our culture uh, when it came out. It is about the uh, uh, Marvel superhero, his name is T'Challa. He is an African king of a mythical nation known as Wakanda. And here's the key, Wakanda is like technologically advanced, but here's the secret, it's invisible. It, it, it's, it's hidden from the rest of the world. All they see is kind of this poor African nation until the king, Black Panther, 
brings it to life. So sit back and relax. We're going to watch the movie trailer for Black Panther, and then we'll open our Bibles to see the connections to Scripture. Here is Black Panther. I have seen gods fly. I've seen men build weapons that I couldn't even imagine. Uh-huh. I've seen aliens drop from the sky. Yeah. But I have never seen anything like this. How much more are you hiding? Hola. Let's go. go, go. My son, it is your time. Show me my respect and bow down. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Don't freeze. I never freeze. The revolution will not be televised. Show me my respect. And bow down. We own ya. We own ya. We only getting started now. Cause we own ya. Everybody think they know me now. Cause we own ya. You and not my homie now. Cause we own ya. I waited my entire life for this. The world's gonna start over. I'ma burn it all. What happens now determines what happens. To the rest of the world. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. The revolution will not be televised. Let's have some fun. Now, this was the 18th superhero movie in Marvel's uh, lineup, and this is kind of interesting. Since 9-11, the terror attacks on the Twin Towers, the single largest cinematic genre is superhero movies. We live in uncertain times, right, where people are worried about terror, and to America kind of has this appetite for superheroes who kind of courageously confront evil and protect people. And I'm guessing you have a favorite superhero. So let's do a little audience participation right now. I want you to turn to your neighbor, take five seconds, tell them who is your favorite superhero. Go right now. Five seconds. (laughs) I'm hearing, I heard Superman. (laughs) I heard Batman. I heard Wonder Woman. Any Wonder Woman? (laughs) I heard someone over here say, Pastor Tim, thank you. Yeah, baby. Fat Thor right there. Come on. Uh, actually, someone over here, I just heard them say, Jesus? They're like in church. They're like, I think it's always Jesus. I, it's a trick question, you know? <laughs> it's kind of funny, but since 2001, we actually have witnessed this reboot after reboot of superhero movies. Think of like Superman, Batman, any Spider-Man fans? It, it's like there's a Spider-Man movie every month, you know, it like comes out. There's the Avengers, right? Iron Man, Thor, Aquaman, there's Wonder Woman, many, many more. But the point is this, Black Panther is not an ordinary superhero movie. 
This was a culturally important movie when it came out because the Black Panther came at a very critical moment originally in our nation's history. Black Panther burst onto the comic book scene in 1966. This was at the height of the civil rights movement. And so 1966, it was a time in our nation when we were wrestling with, with racism and discrimination. I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, we still are. Uh, you look at our world today, our nation just seems bitterly divided over race and politics. But in the 1960s, the Black Panther comes onto the comic book scene. It actually wasn't in his own series. He was originally featured in issue number 52 of the Fantastic Four. Now, there's a small percentage of comic book nerds right now who are geeking out. They're like, where did you get that? That's amazing. Is that original, you know? Um, this, but this was a moment, I said 1966, when American society was infected with these, these racial stereotypes and prejudicial attitudes, um, terrible attitudes in mainstream culture, which you actually see in the very first panel of this comic book. Take a look, this first panel. Uh, you have the Fantastic Four, they're flying this like futuristic, invisible spaceship. And one of them says, oh, it's an unexpected gift sent to me by an African chieftain called the Black Panther. And then the thing replies, never heard of him. But how does some refugee from a Tarzan movie lay his hands on this kind of gizmo? Which is like super racist, right? Like, I mean, it's like completely offensive and discriminatory. But this is what they wrote in the comic books, and they gave it to kids. Okay, so you understand? This is where society was in 1966. People looked at Africa, and all they saw was this big primitive continent, and they thought ignorantly about it. They thought nothing good can possibly come from that. And understand, that was the prevailing attitude of mainstream culture towards Africa. And so it provided this great foil for the Black Panther to kind of shatter all those stereotypes. Because when we first meet T'Challa, or the Black Panther, played by Chadwick Boseman, he is an African king who is strong and smart. He is wise. He's brilliant. He's confident. He's humble. He's generous, and he's rich. In fact, he's the exact opposite of all these racial stereotypes that popular culture had conjured up. We see a warrior king with genius and intellect and innovation. We see a king who rules over Wakanda with humility and peace and generosity. You see, Wakanda, as it was envisioned, is a sovereign kingdom that had never been colonized by Europeans. Its people had never been subjected to slavery. And yet it was full of these rich natural resources. The key one is vibranium. It's the super strong metal drawn out of the African earth. And so Wakanda, when you see it, it has these technological innovations that are like bleeding edge. They're more advanced than anything the world has ever seen. So when Black Panther comes onto the scene in 1966, he introduces this inspiring vision of what could emerge or maybe should have emerged from African culture if people were empowered not oppressed. And it really confronted the racist and uh, attitudes of the 60s. I think it still does today. I think that's why it strikes such a chord in our popular culture. Now, the movie is visually brilliant, okay? What I love most is this immersive sense it gives you of both the king, that's T'Challa, and his kingdom, Wakanda. So let's take a look at Wakanda as T'Challa returns home to his people. We are home.
This never gets old. Mother, Princess, my comfort for your loss. Thank you, Nakia. It is so good to have you back with us. Take her to the river province to prepare her for the ceremony. Yes, General. Your father and I will talk about this day all the time. He is with us, and it is your time to be king. It is your time to be king. And then she says, what kind of king will you be? It's a great question. Uh, because Wakanda is beautiful, but it is complex because it is hiding in plain sight, but nobody can see it because of the technology that Wakandans use to disguise it. So it's kind of this invisible kingdom. And then they pull back the curtain. You get this vision of a sovereign African nation without slavery, without colonialism. And it represented the stirring vision of what people could become as image bearers of God. It's this inspiring picture of a preferred future that inspired people to live fully into the power of their God-given potential. I mean, yes, T'Challa, the Black Panther, is the king of Wakanda, but he's actually not the one who runs the country. These three African women represent power in Wakanda. Female leaders run the entire government. They actually oversee uh, the, the military. They oversee science and technology. In fact, this youngest woman, she's like the brainchild behind all the IT in Wakanda. She's like smarter than Mark Zuckerberg. She's got like more innovative than Elon Musk, okay? Uh, she represents the military, which like they are, they are woof, okay? This picture of like excellence and precision and discipline and we'll lay down our lives to protect our people. And so it's kind of amazing because understand, this movie overturns another stereotype. Black women in power is historically not the norm. Uh, in Africa or in America, for that matter. So let's hear it for female leaders, by the way. All right, girl boss, it's a cool, it's kind of, it's an awesome thing. So understand what Wakanda represents. It is this wonderland of possibility that might have been had European colonization and slavery and racial discrimination not infected the continent of Africa. It's, it's a vision of these indigenous people with the freedom to determine their own God-given destiny regardless of gender or skin color. Now, let's be honest. Uh, most of mainstream Americans don't view Africa this way. But I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's becoming more and more like this. Uh, I just got back from 10 days in the beautiful country of Rwanda. It is the crown jewel there in the center of Africa. It's a beautiful country where liquid is privileged to help our African brothers and sisters get clean drinking water. 
And the people in Rwanda are both beautiful and brilliant. They truly are. Uh, because Rwanda is rising out of the ashes of genocide. Uh, 25 years ago, one million people were slaughtered in 100 days based on tribal warfare between two ethnicities. Now, what's kind of the Hutu tribe and the Tutsi tribe? Now, here's what's disturbing. For hundreds of years, the Rwandans made no distinction between being Hutu or Tutsi. But then Belgian colonizers came, and when the Belgians came, they noticed, they said, you know what, the Tutsis are lighter skinned than the Hutus who are darker skinned. And they actually took out calipers and their scientists would measure the nose sizes. And they said the Tutsis have skinny long noses while the Hutus have broad flat noses. And so since they're light skinned, the Tutsis, and they have skinny noses, they look more like us Europeans, we're gonna put them in charge, even though they're 20%. And so for hundreds of years, the bitter seeds of genocide were planted and ethnic differences exploded, but today, Rwanda is a miracle. The people there are healing and the country is flourishing. Uh, the capital city of Kigali is actually cleaner than New York, which I understand is not saying much, okay? Just like to be honest about that. Um, we go to these rural villages outside Kigali that still lack water and electricity, but they have 100% cell phone coverage in the entire nation, which is better than New Jersey, okay? Let's just acknowledge that. The people there are very young, about 70% population is under the age of 35 because of the genocide. But these beautiful, smart, determined people, their goal is to make um, the Singapore of Africa. They wanna make it the hub for global investment and trade and business. And what's most cool is the female leadership. Um, this is so cool. This woman actually is the head of a water committee where we were privileged as a church to, to bring a well. But the Rwandan government, take a look at this, has more female lawmakers in its legislative branch than any other country in the entire world. Okay, so black women in power, Rwanda is rising, progressive, open, let's hear it for them. That's an incredible thing. I'm just telling you, like, you, could, you should go see it for yourself. You really should go on a water trip. Our church, guys, we are like blessed to be able to come alongside our African brothers and sisters because they want to make history. They want Rwanda to be the first country on the continent of Africa with 100% access to clean water. Because that's what's possible when people are empowered and not enslaved. It's what happens when they have humble servant leaders to govern them. In the movie, Wakanda is governed by T'Challa. He is the Christ figure in the film. A lot of times superhero movies will have at their heart a Christ figure. That just means that they follow a similar journey to Jesus. Uh, there'll be this kind of supernatural birth story, and then there's a sacrificial death, and of course a resurrection to new life. And the movie opened with this beautiful scene of coronation of a king being crowned by his people. And this is where we're gonna make some parallels with the word of God here. It takes place in a river. It reminded me of Jesus' baptism. So let's watch this clip through the stained glass of cinema, and then we'll open our Bibles. Check it out.
son of Badu, give to you Prince T'Challa, the Black Panther. The Prince will now have the strength of the Black Panther stripped away. by yield or death. If any tribe wishes to put forth a warrior, I now offer a path to the throne. You! You! The merchant's tribe will not challenge today. Aye! The border tribe will not challenge today. The river tribe will not challenge today. The mining tribe will not challenge today. Is there any member of a royal blood who wishes to challenge for the throne? This corset is really uncomfortable. So could we all just wrap it up and go home? <laughs> <laughs> the great sense of humor in the movie. Here's what I want to do. I want to draw a parallel between a king and his kingdom because you have T'Challa and Wakanda and then you have Jesus in the New Testament who came as a king proclaiming another invisible kingdom. He called it the kingdom of God. And so understand when I make these connections, this isn't like precise, right? Movies are a reflection of the gospel. It's not like one for one. It's not a perfect analogy. So you have to hold on to this kind of loosely. But the coronation of, of the king here kind of reminded me of Jesus' baptism because it's a coronation of a humble king before his people who becomes like them. When Jesus was 30 years old, the Bible says that he went to the river Jordan to be baptized by his cousin John. And here's what scripture says. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. In other words, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry. And a voice from heaven, this is God the Father, said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Uh, the baptism of Jesus was like the Father's public declaration before his people, that's the nation of Israel, that the king had come. When Jesus went into that water, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit alights. In other words, that's the, symbolizing the supernatural presence and power of God that empowered Jesus for ministry. In some ways, Jesus' baptism was like God declaring to his people, I haven't left you alone. I am sending the crown prince of heaven to be your representative. I'm sending you a savior with supernatural power to protect you and help you. And Jesus was a benevolent king who did not use his power to dominate or discriminate, but to lift up his people. Because at the time, Jewish people were actually oppressed. They were suffering under Roman occupiers. And when Jesus came, he came preaching about this invisible kingdom of God. 
And he said, guys, it operates completely opposite of the world. It runs on the rules of nonviolence. That is, if you want to know what the glory and power of God is, it doesn't come through military muscle or political power, but through peace and through love and forgiveness and praying for your enemies. It comes through grace. Jesus said the kingdom would be led by leaders who turn the other cheek and make peace, not wage war. And so people were drawn to King Jesus because he represented hope. Hope that they could become free people. They could become everything that God created them to be and live fully into their God-given potential. Now, you need to know that T'Challa doesn't have the Holy Spirit. That's not his special superpower. It is a vibranium suit, okay? But this is very significant, okay? Because, and I'll be honest, when we look at this picture behind me, throw it up on the big screen, um, you know, my mom was in church. She'd be like, he looks evil. That looks like a satanic person. Why would you put that up? Now, here, listen. That's what she sounds like. They, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, love you, mom. Okay, all right. Uh, here's the deal. Vibranium suit. Now, th this is fascinating. Vibranium is basically this special metal drawn out of the African earth, and so his suit's made it. So he's like Captain America, basically, but instead of a shield, he has claws and body armor. But here's what's special. Vibranium gives him the ability to absorb all the attacks of his enemies. So every punch, every blow, every hit, every lash gets absorbed into his vibranium suit, and then all that kinetic energy is absorbed and then released back, and it actually makes him stronger. In other words, the Black Panther embodies nonviolent resistance. He's able to absorb all the hits that come his way because he lives by this principle of turning the other cheek and allowing himself to be hit. Now, we don't think of superheroes that way, right? We typically think like, you know, Hulk, smash, you know, kind of angry. But instead of smashing or lashing out, Black Panther absorbs it, and he becomes this stronger, better king. And I think that's why superheroes are so popular in our culture, because they kind of help us feel like we have this hidden strength to overcome whatever adversity we're facing. You know, in the 1960s, Black Panther became a representative. He represented hope. He represented possibility. He represented strength to a generation of Africans and African Americans who were fighting for equal rights and the freedom to be excellent, to be peaceful, to be prosperous. Dr. Otto, uh, I think his name is Otis, uh, Otis, Otis, Otis Moss from Auburn Seminary. This is fascinating. He leads an urban church in Chicago, and he wrote this. He said, what I love about T'Challa is that the Black Panther is a unique superhero. Uh, Superman comes from another planet. Uh, Batman's just wealthy. Peter Parker was bitten by a radioactive spider. <laughs> But T'Challa, if you take away his suit, he gets his real power from the spirit, the spirit of the panther. In other words, he gets his power from the Holy Ghost. And then he writes, the second thing that's so powerful about the entire story is the royal guard of Wakanda. They're all women and the most fearsome fighters. The reason they're so fierce, according to comic book lore, is that only a woman has the stamina, IQ, and emotional intelligence to practice the martial art of Wakanda at this level. Because the martial art of Wakanda requires you to coordinate with somebody else, catch this, they are one body, but many parts. And so you have these two biblical things happening that flow in the Black Panther. Again, this is an imperfect analogy. It's not like Black Panther equals Jesus, but I think it's significant how people interpret the spiritual themes of this movie. Um, just to make this real life, there's a man by the name of Anthony Seeley who talks, I think, very powerfully about how the Black Panther, what it represents to him 
as an African-American follower of Jesus Christ. Um, he has a 13-month-old son, and I want you to listen to how he describes the impact of having a representative hero to aspire to. I think about what, you know, my childhood was like, and, you know, I had shared with you before, you know, Halloween is one of those times where you kind of get to imagine to be someone else that you're not, right? And so, like, as kids, you know, a lot of times we dress up as, like, superheroes or other types of personalities, but, you know, as a person of color, as a, as a black kid, you kind of you kind of think about, like, what types of superheroes and things you want to be, and as you get older, you might not really dress up as, like, Batman or Superman or, or like, uh, you know, like Thor, for example, like Thor is not black. So, so, you know, when I got the Black Panther, it was like, hey, like this is the character in the comic book that authentically has always been written for, you know, uh, you know black actors have been written, like reflecting kind of like black people, African-American people. You know, symbols matter, themes matter, stories matter, representation definitely matters. Um, so the way it shows up for people in young ages, right, is that, you have to be able to see yourself in other people, you know, and it could be, you know, um, in children's books, for example, you have to be able to see yourself in that children's book, right? Um, movies, for example, you have to be able to see yourself in that, in that movie, for example. You also have to be able to see yourself in doing things that maybe you would have never thought you would have been able to do. So, you know, for like, um, you know, for women, for girls, it's really important for them to see you know, um, really successful women that might be in technology or really successful women that might be in engineering because it's often something that they naturally don't feel like they would go into or that's something that, you know, women or girls might do. For this movie in particular, you know, what I really wanted him to get out of it is I wanted him to be able to see that you can do pretty much anything that you want. Um, it's okay to own your identity and true and to be black, to be excellent. Um, and don't ever sell yourself short in terms of your abilities. Now, did you catch what he said? I think this is so insightful, okay? Um, when Anthony talks about it, he's talking about his 13-month-old son, and he says, you know, it's important to have representation in our stories and our movies. He said he wants his son to know that it's okay to own your identity, to be black, to be excellent, and don't sell yourself short in terms of your potential. In other words, representation is important. What's fascinating is that off-camera, Anthony said that growing up as a boy himself, every Halloween he remembers being a Ninja Turtle because all the superheroes were white. He said he couldn't identify. And he said, so as a kid growing up, he had to kind of, he masked his whole body to become a Ninja Turtle. He says, but now my son has, has a chance, has a choice to be Black Panther because he can relate to and inspire to be a world changer. What's the point, in, uh, what's the point church? Here's what's important. Representation matters. It's a big deal, guys. Black Panther represents a group of people who had long been underrepresented. And we all need a leader we can aspire to be like. And that's why Jesus came in humility, in weakness. He came, to he came not to divide us, but to unite us. Amen? And God unites us by sending his son to represent us. It's amazing to me that here comes Jesus, the all-powerful king of heaven, and he comes down, and instead of showing divine power, he's born in weakness. He's born in straw poverty. He's born in a barn in some backwater town in the Middle East nobody had heard of. And Jesus spends his first few years actually as a refugee, an immigrant in Egypt. I mean, that's the origin story of how Jesus comes to earth and says, I want to represent frail humanity. The Bible says the word became flesh. It's the incarnation, what we call it. We talk about this at Christmas. But the point is that God wants us to relate to him so much that Jesus becomes like us. 
to show us our potential, what it's like to live a, a transformed life of, with, empowered by the Spirit of God, dedicated to sacrifice and humility and generosity. Look at how Philippians 2 describes the incarnation of Jesus and how it's supposed to inspire us. Paul writes this, he says, don't be selfish. Don't, don't try to impress others. Be humble. In, in thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then he says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to, to cling to. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. Jesus took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Guys, that's the kind of king that we serve. As followers of Christ, we worship this all-powerful God who takes on human flesh and becomes just like us because Jesus represents every single one of us, right? Black, white, red, brown, yellow, doesn't matter. Every color of skin and redeemed by Christ's love, our lives are supposed to represent him to a watching world, amen? Unfortunately, you know that in the Gospels, even though Jesus came preaching this incredible gospel of nonviolence, of an invisible kingdom where, where the leaders loved their, their neighbors and they forgave their enemies. They cared for the poor. When Jesus didn't deliver on the political power that people wanted, they turned on him. In the movie Black Panther, uh, the peace of Wakanda is rudely interrupted when the evil supervillain known as Killmonger appears on the scene, played by Michael B. Jordan, and he challenges T'Challa for the throne. Now, Killmonger is the opposite of servant leadership. He's kind of a type of antichrist. He's bent on world domination. He's power hungry. He uses violence and fear and intimidation to dominate and destroy people. And he challenges T'Challa for the right to rule over Wakanda. And if you pay attention to superhero movies and the gospel, you know that every sacrificial superhero experiences this. Before they can bring their people victory and salvation, they must first experience defeat and even death, sacrificing themselves on behalf of their people. Come in. Is this your kid? 
Who's going to lead you into the future? Come on, brother! Is there nothing that can be done? Him? He's supposed to protect you. Even if you haven't seen the movie, how many of you have a feeling he's going to come back? <laughs> right? I mean, again, one of the things about superhero movies is they follow a certain plot line. In, in college, we used to call it a story arc. Uh, Joseph Campbell, he called the hero's journey. Basically, the idea is that the hero always has to face danger and death and prove that he is willing to lay down his life before he can be born again. And that's not just mythical movie making. All these little stories, I think, draw their power from the grand story of, God, of the gospel. Amen? It really is the larger, like, meta-narrative is what they call it, the story of the gospel, which is why this kind of stuff echoes in our hearts. See, before the gospel can become good news, it has to be bad news first. The Bible says Jesus came to his people to lead to save them, but his own received him not, and Israel rejected their king. Fueled by that killmonger Satan, Jesus was not just humbled, he was humbled unto death. Here's what Philippians describes. We'll keep reading in Philippians 2. It says, Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. But when Jesus appeared in human form, watch this, Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross, a Roman cross. Now, this is impossible for us to imagine what Jesus was thinking on this cross, because here he is. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He actually said, I have the power to call down 10,000 legions of angels. I can have the arsenal of heaven fight for me right now if I want it. And at that moment, when he is being mocked, when he's being beaten, when he's being assaulted, when he's being terrorized, abused, when they're stabbing a spear in his side at that moment, Jesus does not call down the power of heaven. He doesn't strike back his enemies. He says, Father, forgive them. I mean, could you do that? Could you imagine Jesus absorbing all this hate into his vibranium heart and not striking back? He didn't call down curses on his enemy. He didn't defend himself. Instead, he prayed for them. He was willing to substitute his life for ours, to die in the place of his people, and in dying, become more powerful than anybody could possibly imagine. Remember, like Black Panther, Jesus leads an invisible kingdom. You can't see it yet. All we see is hatred and terror and racism and all these ills. But he said there's a kingdom coming of peace and love and grace and forgiveness where weakness is the real strength. And those with faith will be rewarded. You know, in the Gospels, after the death of Jesus, all his followers scatter. The only women are left at the foot of the cross. W women and John, actually. And when they bury Jesus' body, it's actually women who are the first to witness the empty tomb. In Black Panther, just when all hope seems lost, T'Challa's body is recovered by three women who witnessed their king come back to life. T'Challa is resurrected. And when he emerges on Easter morning, <laughs> just as Jesus conquered Satan and death, he comes back more powerful than ever. Not to bring revenge, but to confront the violence and evil of Killmonger.
What's up? I never yielded! And as you can see, I am not dead! All that challenge is over with. I'm the king now. Get those planes in the air! Carry out the mission! Shoot it now. Copy that. Go! Go, 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 go! Come on, Ross! Wakabi! Man, kill this clown! Wakabi! The challenge is not complete! What will we do? What a tribe! Bambi! No! Your heart is so full of hatred, you are not fit to be a king! Come on! Ayo! The king! You guys want to just watch the rest of the movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's amazing. Again, the Black Panther is an unusual superhero. He does not use brute force. He doesn't seek revenge. He has this humble servant leadership and, and this commitment to, to nonviolent resistance. His hidden strength is that he's able to absorb all the blows, the hatred, the murder of his enemies and absorb it the way Jesus did on the cross and come back stronger, an invincible king, showing the true power of the invisible kingdom. It's an unshakable kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom, and it's coming, guys. That's the Christ we follow. That's the Savior who represents all believers, every color, every race, every tribe, every nation. Amen? That's the hope we have. The Bible says when Christ returns, he's going to bring the kingdom. He will judge the wicked, but in the meantime, we're to be his ambassadors. We're supposed to be light in this dark world where there's violence and terror and discrimination. The Bible says the Holy Spirit lives in us and his light is supposed to shine through us as we sacrifice ourselves and serve others in Jesus' name. Seeing Jesus for who he is. He's not just this mythical superhero. Jesus was a flesh and blood savior and king and that's supposed to transform the way you and I live in this broken world. In Matthew 5, Jesus told his followers, he said this, he said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Uh, guys, this is basically Jesus' way of saying, I didn't come just to save you, I came to transform you. I want to invade you with my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to give you the strength, actually, to conquer evil with good, to overcome hatred with love, to heal division with a spirit of supernatural unity. Is that right, church? Say amen if you agree. That's who we are as God's people. 
so you don't hide your light under a bushel. You let it illuminate every dark corner of this world with the hope of Christ. Remember, Black Panther, you've got a hidden power like Black Panther. He had a vibranium, you have the Holy Spirit. And God can give you, he can. He can give you a vibranium heart. When you live in this world and you see all the tox toxicness and the bitterness, and you absorb that, you can actually absorb all the hatred and poison and attacks this world. And without becoming bitter or returning evil for evil, the Holy Spirit can give you the supernatural power to respond with the explosive force of love and grace and forgiveness. That's true power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what changes the world. It's the only thing. That's why the Apostle Paul, he says, you got a job. Here it is, ready? Ambassador. You're an ambassador for Christ. He says this, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal to the world through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. In other words, you guys know what an ambassador is? It's somebody who represents another country, another kingdom. And, and Jesus says, you, you actually, you represent the kingdom of God. And God wants to shine his light and his hope through you into the dark corners of our broken world. You know, in the final scene of Black Panther, T'Challa and the leaders of Wakanda come to New York City uh, to visit the United Nations. And it's an amazing scene because this invisible kingdom of Wakanda is about to step onto the world stage and make itself visible. See, up to this point, all the world thinks is that Wakanda is just another broken African nation full of poor people who are dependent on others. They have no idea <laughs> that Wakanda holds the secret solution to the world's problems. And so T'Challa and his ambassadors make their appeal. My name is King T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. I am the sovereign ruler of the nation of Wakanda. And for the first time in our history, we will be sharing our knowledge and resources with the outside world. Wakanda will no longer watch from the shadows. We cannot. We must not. We will work to be an example of how we as brothers and sisters on this earth should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusions of division threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. With all due respect, King T'Challa, what can a nation of farmers have to offer the rest of the world? Did you hear what the king said? He said, we all know the truth, that more connects us than divides us. We have to look after one another like brothers and sisters as if we're all part of one single tribe or family. Guys, we live in a world right now that is bitterly divided over race and politics. I look on social media, it's like we're on the brink of a civil war. But you know what that means? It means your voice is needed now more than ever. But in, yeah, it, it is. But listen, I wanna clarify this. Instead of just yelling louder <laughs> or, or, or demonizing the other side, what if you wave the flag of our unity in Jesus Christ who laid down his life for every man, every woman, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every color of skin? 
We are one family in Christ and only one color matters, red. It's the blood of Jesus that connects all of us, amen? That's who we are. That's who we are as citizens of the kingdom of Christ. So understand, guys, in John 17, before Jesus, the worst night of his life, you know what his prayer was? He said, Father, may they be one as you and I are one because then the world will know that you have sent me. What's God's ultimate apologetic? It's unity in the family of Christ. And so understand, this is, Black Panther isn't just a feel-good movie. The gospel isn't just a feel-good story. It's a bold call to change the world as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Your life can make a difference. Just like Jesus represented you, you can live and serve and bring reconciliation and healing to a world that is just divided and blind and lost and cannot save itself. And I just gotta say, I, I, I look at our world and I'm like, man, I can't wait for the true king to come, amen? It's King Jesus who's needed to rule over every tribe, tongue, and nation from America to Rwanda. Philippians 2 ends with this promise. This is so powerful about Jesus, who we serve. So let's read this together, church. Big, loud voice. Let's all read this together. Here we go. Therefore, God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's give him some praise, church. That's who we are. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now. We thank you, God, that you would send your son Jesus to this earth in humility to be our representative. Jesus, we thank you for your humble birth, your perfect life, your selfless service, and Lord, your sacrificial death on the cross. We cannot get our heads around it. Open our eyes, Father. Jesus, we believe, we believe you just, you lived the perfect life we could never live, but you also died the death that we all deserved. And so, Father, we believe that, Jesus, you have the strength to save us, rescue us, and would you redeem us and heal us, make us whole? We offer our lives to you. Holy Spirit, come and invade every part of us. We're the body of Christ. Pour your spirit out through us so that we become ambassadors of reconciliation and unity and healing in our world. Uh, God, I ask this week, would you just help us represent your kingdom in our homes, in our families, and live counter to our culture? We ask that we could do it in the name of Jesus and for his glory. And all God's people said together, amen. amen. One more praise for Jesus.